Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober, covering lifestyles in the world of real food. I'm back for a new series of podcasts this fall. As always, I continue to let you know about the best natural products. My guest today is Asher Cowan, co-founder and CEO of Dr. Cowan's Garden. Dr. Cowan's Garden offers a diverse variety of nutrient-dense foods across all categories. Asher, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. It's great to have you on. And I know we met, oh, this was back in 2015. Wow, I can't believe it was that long because it feels more recent. And that was at the Wise Traditions Conference. And you were just introducing Dr. Cowan's Garden. And as many different exhibitors that I saw there, a lot of them now have made it pretty big. Glad to see that your company is one of them. Yeah, thanks. I remember that. And that was the Wise Traditions Conference in Anaheim back in 2015. And that was kind of our initial launch into the market with our vegetable powders at the time. So that show, products were all made in our kitchens and just kind of testing the waters to see if there was something there. The show went really well. We got a really great response to the vegetable powders. And then a short while later, we launched the website and then have been going ever since. Excellent. So let's get a little more into how the product came about and how you got involved with it. Sure. My dad is the doctor of Dr. Cowan's Garden. He's actually retired from practicing, but I guess you would call him a doctor anyways. It was his idea for the product, and that came from, at the same time, he had a sort of community garden where he was growing a ton of vegetables and way more than what he could possibly eat himself or even give away. He came up with the idea of making the vegetables into powders after going out to a restaurant and seeing that this high-end restaurant in San Francisco was seasoning their food with vegetable powders. And so for a long time, he had been trying to get his patients to eat a more diverse diet, specifically in respect to vegetables. And he thought that this could be a way for them to eat more diversity in their vegetable consumption. And so that was the idea. He told me the idea. And a short while later, like we talked about earlier, we made the powders and saw if there was any interest in them at the conference. And lo and behold, there was. And so we decided to really make a go out of it and found a manufacturing partner. We ended up producing our own for the first couple of years in our own kitchen with vegetables grown by my dad in the Napa garden that we used to talk about a lot. And so that was kind of how the idea was born. The vegetable powders, that was our main product line. And a good way to think of them is like a seasoning or a spice. You use them in food that you're already eating or food that you're already cooking. And it's a great way to add extra flavor, diversity, nutrition to just about anything that you're eating. So if you're a parent of a picky eater, it's a great way to add vegetables, diversity, and nutrition to whatever they're eating. So I'll make pancakes for the kids on Saturday mornings, and I add some beet powder and some burdock powder and some root medley powder into their pancakes. And they kind of know that it's there because they see me making them. But if you wanted to, you could hide them from kids. If you also wanted to, you could sort of feature the flavor in another dish that you're eating. So they're very versatile, and it's 
a great way, like I said, to add flavor and nutrition to anything you're eating. And then since then, we've added a ton of new products and we have to talk about those as well. Yes, I love the idea of being able to add things that you might not be getting from the specific food. Yeah, the general principle is to try to make anything you eat as healthy as it can be. So for example, if you're going to be eating grains, then you want to soak or sprout the grains before you do so, so that it sort of breaks down the phytic acid that's present in the grains and it makes the nutrients more bioavailable. So your body's better able to absorb the nutrition and digest the food in general. And then if you can add healthy ingredients to that, then that makes it even better. And so just the general principle is try to get anything that you're eating as healthy, flavorful, nutritious as it can be. And then you'll have a better diet, you'll enjoy your food better, and just a better experience overall. Yes. And getting back to the garden powders, because you have a number of flavors. So what would you say are the specific health advantages of the different plants included in them? Well, it depends on the powder. So we have a variety of different kinds. Our sort of star is the ashitaba. That's one of the most nutrient-dense plants on the planet. It has a whole host of health benefits, including it's being studied as an anti-cancer treatment. It has, it's energy boosting. It's a source of plant-based ketones. It has a lot of B vitamins. It's great for detoxification energy boosting, and a lot of other things. So that's one. The beet powder, for example, beets are great for blood flow. They're great for heart health, energy. Athletes would use them for performance enhancing. And then you have burdock and dandelion, and those are great for detoxing, liver support, those types of things. And then you have the threefold blends, and that's a great way to add diversity just in one teaspoon or tablespoon. The idea behind the threefold blend is that a plant is sort of like an upside down human. So you have the stem, you have the leaves, which are the breathing mechanism. They're the ones that take in the oxygen. It's sort of like our lungs. And then you have the fruiting parts, and that's sort of the reproductive part of the plant. Think of peppers and squashes and those types of things. Those are sort of fruiting vegetables. And then you have the root vegetables, which are akin to the brain. And so it's like an upside down human, and it's a way to get all the spectrum of nutrition into one product. So when we talk about vegetable diversity and full spectrum of nutrition, when it comes to vegetables, you really want to have all the different parts of the plant. So the root vegetables, the leafy green vegetables, and the fruiting vegetables, and then all the different colors. And that's going to give you the full spectrum of nutrition. Right. As a lot of nutritionists say, eat the rainbow. And you talked about the beet powder. Have you seen a lot of people that don't like beets? Because I remember one time years ago, I had a guest on that made beet kvass and he knew that a lot of people didn't like beets, which he thought was a shame. So he'd make other types of kvasses. Yeah. So I can see that that would be a great one to put into powder because it is one that is certainly a dividing food to say the least. Yeah, it is, but it's one of my favorites from a flavor profile. And obviously the benefits of beets are hard to argue. But one of the great things about our powders is that the most commonly cited thing that people will cite in their reviews is the flavor and the taste. It tastes really good. And that's why people keep coming back for more. We have people who have placed 30, 40, 50 orders on our website because I think they've sort of made our products part of their daily eating habits. And so 
the beet powder is one of the ones that I think tastes the best. And I think that would be true for a lot of people. A lot of people would say that. And it's something that's very versatile in what it can be used in. For example, you could add a tablespoon or something like that to a brownie that you're making for dessert, or you could add it to a spaghetti sauce for a more savory dish. It has a lot of versatility in that one and can be used in all kinds of different foods. And it's one that I try to get into my kids as often, as often as I can. It's interesting that you bring up the brownie because I'm not sure if you knew this, but the origin of red velvet cake was actually... During World War II, there was a ration on the cocoa bean, so they used beets instead. Interesting. I didn't know that. I thought red velvet cake, that was a much newer thing, but I guess I was wrong about that. But it really does pair well with chocolate, and it adds a richness to a normal chocolate dish that you wouldn't have without it. And I really like it. I like beets sort of separately, but I think the beet powder really does add a flavor component that would be missing without it. The craze of red velvet cake was certainly much more recent, but I guess it was kind of a retro yeah. thing. Everything old yeah, is I new again, and they dug it up. And of course, now the red velvet cake, I'm sorry to disappoint listeners, that's not beet juice that typically makes your red velvet cake red. Yeah. That is a big focus of the appropriate omnivore is recommending comfort food, food that we like, saying you don't have to give up this kind of stuff. And I see your powders very much as promoting what I talk about of just including more nutrient-dense ingredients in the everyday foods you eat. Yeah, you really don't have to compromise on flavor when you're trying to eat healthy. If you really know what you're doing, you can get really healthy food to taste very good. When you learn the tricks of cooking and how to make things taste good, you won't feel like you're dieting by eating a lot healthier. Agreed. And flavor is a very important thing. And that's typically what I hear from all my guests is, sure, they want to make it sustainable. They want to make it regenerative, organic, healthy, but you can't sacrifice flavor. When you're first developing these powders, you go through a process of making sure that it had a good flavor. Yeah, totally. We are of the belief that people won't eat them if they don't taste good. And so that goes into all the different blends that we have. And it goes into the processing of how we process the vegetables. So for example, I think raw kale salads, maybe 10 years ago, those were the big thing. Maybe they still are. I don't really know. But kale in raw form has oxalates and other anti-nutrients present. They make it a little bit bitter. And so what we do is we actually blanch or steam the vegetables before they go into the dehydrator to remove the water. And so what the blanching process does, it cooks it just a little bit, cooks off those anti-nutrients, the oxalates, and it makes it into a sweeter version, less earthy, less bitter. And the nutrients are more easily digestible, more bioavailable when you cook the vegetables just a little bit. And so it also makes it taste better. And if it tastes better, people are more likely to eat it. It's also more bioavailable, so it's better for you. And we've cooked off the anti-nutrients. So flavor was absolutely a key component of what we were doing. And it also happens in this case to be a healthier version of the vegetable as well. Yeah, I'm not sure how trendy kale is now, but definitely is a big thing 10 or so years ago. And kale, like all cruciferous vegetables, which it comes from that family of Brussels sprouts and broccoli and cauliflower, they are better to eat when they're cooked. Absolutely. And that's the general principle that we have with just about every 
vegetable. You shouldn't eat butternut squash raw. And so we cook it before we dehydrate it. And it makes it into a better product, a better powder, and it's more flavorful. And like I talked about, the nutrients are more bioavailable when you cook it beforehand. Are a lot of the foods that you chose for the powders ones that are better to eat cooked and that was the reason for incorporating them into it? Yeah. Peppers, for example, we don't blanch them beforehand, but essentially we just take the vegetable and get it to where it should be. If it's a sweet pepper, you can eat that raw and that goes into our pepper salt. But yeah, it's just however the vegetable should be eaten is how we process it and get it to that end state where we preserve that state in the dehydrated form. So yeah, it's the same principle with every vegetable and really every ingredient that we use, including in our other products as well. We talked about flavor first, which I think is a good description for the quality of your food. So now let's get into the other great elements of it. Your products are described as beyond organic. Explain what that means. Well, the standard USDA organic standards have continued to slip over time. And there's one thing to go from maybe Cal Organic or Foxy Farm Organic, those big industrial, quote, organic farms. There's a big difference between that and your small family farmer who's really looking after the soil, who's incorporating compost into it, who's really looking after the soil and taking care of it in a way that goes well above and beyond the typical organic standards. And those are the farms that we source from. We source from the smaller farms that are able to do things in a way that goes well above and beyond organic standards. And so, yes, they might be certified organic, but many of them are Demeter certified, which is a certified biodynamic farm. And a way to think of that is like a closed ecosystem. They're not allowed any outside inputs onto the farm, so they have to create their own fertility and soil nutrition fertilizer from within their farm. So they're composting a lot of spent plants, animal manures, and those types of things, using animals in the fields to till maybe. And it's just going well above and beyond the USDA organic standards, which continue to slip over time. It's easier and easier, and the standards are lower and lower to be, quote, organic. And so we only use farms that are going well above and beyond. And so that's why we call it Beyond Organic. Yes, USDA standards, or USDA, as Joel Salatin (laughs) refers to it. Right. (laughs) Yes, and Big Organics, it's been a thing for a while, because actually back in the Omnivore's Dilemma, when Michael Pollan wrote it in 2007, there was a whole chapter he had on Big Organics. And I think we're almost even somewhat going away from the word organic. Now we're hearing about regenerative agriculture and Could you see Dr. Collins Garden going into regenerative certification? I guess potentially, yes. The certifications mean less to us. I guess I was specifically thinking about the USDA organic. We do have that stamp on a few of our products, but not many. And it's because we have our customers, they trust us, they trust our sourcing and know that we're using regenerative farms anyways. And so I haven't looked into the official stamp to get approved for that to be on our labels, but it's really about telling the story of the farm and the sourcing and all that stuff. And so having those official labels 
Yeah, I guess it's something that we could do. It's something that we're already doing already because the farms that we're using are using regenerative practices already. They've already met that standard a long time ago. And so, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll put that down on my thing to look into. Yes, because there is regenerative certification and there also is just the practice of regenerative. So is it something also that you could see as more of a marketing more that you're regenerative? Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really looked into that. Obviously, all the farms that we're sourcing from are using those standards and practices. So yeah, that's a good idea. Thank you. Yes. And another thing that I think is pretty amazing about your product is that they're free of additives and preservatives. And can you tell us the process of how that goes to make CPG without any of that? Yeah. So that was never an option for us using any additives or preservatives was never an option. For the vegetable powders, it's really about getting to the right moisture content level. If something is below 8% moisture, then that it's going to last for a long time. That's the magic number that you need to reach in order for it to be preserved in that state. So we do testing to make sure that it's there. For the other products, they're made shelf stable through the removal of moisture. So if it's the granola, for example, the oats in the granola are sprouted beforehand and then dehydrated. So like we talked about earlier, it breaks down the phytic acid and makes the nutrients in the oats more bioavailable and it's easier to digest. And so it's just the general principle we use with all our products, whether it's the vegetables in the powders, the oats in the granola, the nuts and the nut butters, all the ingredients are taken to the place where they should be eaten, sprouted grains, sprouted nuts, and then dehydrated to preserve that state and then made into the products that you end up seeing on the shelf. So it's the same general principle with every ingredient. So I can say that your product really lives up to its name. It's called Dr. Cowan's Garden, and it literally is stuff just from the garden because you see so many products on the market where they want to say farm fresh and it's a process I call farm washing that they use this word farm but then all of the preservatives and additives and stuff that's not from a farm right yeah there's nothing else in any of our products that wouldn't be sourced directly from the farm whether it's the milk that goes into the butter that goes into the ghee or like I said, the seeds or the olives for the olive oil. We partner directly with people who are either the farms themselves that have been a farm and then taken their produce and made a product into that. That's the case with the olive oil. So the olive oil partner that we partnered with from Greece, they own the olive groves and they own everything else in the process. So they own the olive groves. Those are their olives that they grow and have grown in their family for decades, I think six or seven decades. Multi-generational operation they have there, 100-year-old trees, and they've worked with them for decades to get them to the place where they are today, which is producing the highest polyphenol olive oil in the world. And so they also own the processing. So they own the presses that press the olives into olive oil. They own the filling machine. So they own the entire process. And then we've partnered with them to produce what I think is the best olive oil that I've had. So it's partnering with the right people who are growing things the right way, processing things the right way. And then that's your product at the end of the day. Yes. And olive oil is certainly an important one to choose the right olive oil because there's lots of fake olive oil, as people read in the books 
extra virginity oh, yeah. and then extra virgin olive oil, the truth in your kitchen. Yeah, they cut it with other oils. They cut it with cheaper olive oils. But when you can partner with someone who's literally growing all the olives themselves and own the process from the olive tree through the bottling, that's the best partner you can have. They cut it with other oils. Yeah. And the other thing is that also olive oil can become adulterated through the acronym HALT, heat, yeah. air, yeah. light, and time. Yeah. So it's important that you have olive oil that's remained pure through the whole process. Yeah, and they take extra care to never have any heat introduced into the product. They store it in the big stainless steel tanks. No light is introduced and then bottled in dark bottles so that no light is introduced. So it's correctly processed at every step. So we touched upon the garden powders, which were what began Dr. Cowan's garden, hence the name. And then we talked about the olive oil just now, and I know you touched a little bit upon the granola. So I know that Dr. Cowan's Garden now has 10 plus different categories of products. How do you decide which categories of food you want to include? Honestly, it's what I want it for my own kitchen or pantry that I'd be lying if I didn't say that that was a big part of it. It's like, what am I missing? Well, the kids really do like granola and they would like cereal in the morning. I, of course, don't like most, if not all of the options at the local grocery store. So what is a dad left to do? Well, create his own. So that's essentially what I've done for a lot of them. And so far, I think our customers are pleased with the result, but it's like the perfect job I've created for myself is I get to create the products that I would like to have in my own life and then make them available for our customers. And I think that's working well. And I know that a lot of those are products that I'd like to see more of as well. Going back to the granola, that is essentially the original cereal, that and oatmeal. And those are really the only cereals that I recommend yeah. because the modern cereals, they made the process faster through extrusion. The thing was, cereal used to be something that people didn't eat that much because of the time it took to make oatmeal, to soak it, and the time it took to make granola and... That's the problem with modern cereals now is they're made too quickly and they become denatured when you do that. Yeah. And you go back far enough and grains themselves were very expensive. It's only been in recent modern times that grains have been relatively cheap to grow. So that's another thing. And like you said, it does take significant amount of time to produce it properly. So they're soaked for, I think, five days. The grains are soaked, or at least the nuts are. Maybe the grains are soaked for less than that. But it's a process, and each step in the process certainly adds to the cost. And if your goal is to produce the cheapest product possible then you're going to have to do it quickly because time adds cost and then you have to pass that on to the customer. And so if you're looking for cheap, you're going to have to cut corners in a lot of different areas, including adding cheap ingredients that aren't necessarily the healthiest. And so with our granolas and with basically any product, it's taking a properly sourced ingredient, meaning that it's come from a small beyond organic farm processing the ingredient correctly, meaning that if it's kale, it's blanched or steamed first, butternut squash, it's blanched or steamed first, a nut, it's soaked first, a grain, it's soaked first, and then dehydrated and then made into the final product. So every step in the process from the source 
to the final product has to be exactly correct. You could say you're bringing customers the true crunchy granola. <laughs> right. Yeah. It is more crunchy than the normal one. But yeah, we are very crunchy, I guess, in those terms. Yes. And I like that you have a number of products in the grains category because I think a lot has been misunderstood about grains. and There's been a lot of demonization, but of course, with your father and with the Weston A. Price organization, they've explained that grains are not something that need to be avoided. They just have to be properly prepared. And your company is certainly providing us a lot of the right ways to do grains. Yeah, that's a great point that you made there. There's all kinds of fad diets going on now, whether it's vegan or carnivore or something like that. And really, if you go back and study the healthiest people who ever lived, none of them really cut out things that were edible in their environment. You would never find a tribe of people who they say they're carnivores, for example, and they come across a raspberry bush grove and they're not going to eat them because they're watching their figure. That didn't exist or they didn't want to spike their sugars. That didn't exist. If they found raspberries, they would eat them. If there were grains in their environment, they would eat them. If there were vegetables, edible plants in their environment, they would eat them. Of course, they would want to get the elk or whatever, but every culture that survived, they were omnivores. They would eat what was available in their environment. If they lived on an island, they would probably eat a lot of seafood and fish and those types of things. So it's not true that people had these restrictive diets. They would eat what was available to them. But like you said, they would process them in the correct way. So like I've said many times before, you process the ingredient in the correct way. If it was a grain, back in the old times, they would harvest the grain or they would cut the grain and make it into these big round things and they would have them in the field. And what would happen is it would cycle from having moisture on it from the dew in the morning to drying that out in the sun throughout the day and then again moisture overnight dew in the morning just after it's harvested and put into these big round things that they stick up but this cycle of moisture in the morning from the dew combined with the drying out in the sun over the course of the day what that's doing is that's fermenting the grains and so that's how they would eat the grains. And so that became the grains that they would eat. They were naturally fermented just through the harvesting process. So yeah, you're right. Grains and a lot of other foods have been unfairly demonized when the real bad news is maybe it's the glyphosate that was sprayed onto the grains to make them ripen or keep the pests away or other unhealthy growing techniques that are used in modern agriculture. That's the problem. It's not the heirloom variety grain that is properly processed, meaning it's sprouted beforehand and then turned into the sourdough bread or whatever it is. That's not the problem. The problem is the agricultural practices and not processing them correctly. Yes. I think there are many reasons that products containing grains have become denatured, which goes back to how at Dr. Cowan's garden, none of the foods contain fillers and preservatives. Because I think a problem with a lot of breads is you see the different preservatives added on it from high fructose corn syrup to rancid seed oils to then... Bromated flowers and... Right. Yes, the synthetic vitamins that are added in. Another one which Sally Fallon had pointed out is added gluten, not just the gluten that comes naturally in the wheat, but that they add this gluten into it that she thought maybe that's the reason that such a problem with gluten is we put too much in it that we add actually extra gluten to it. 
Yeah, I didn't even know about that. But what percentage of it is either genetically modified and or sprayed with glyphosate? You, you probably don't need to look much further than that to know that it's something that you shouldn't be eating. Yes, glyphosate certainly is another major problem. And that's why on my blog, I only recommend organic sourdough breads because right. sourdough bread certainly has become more popular thing. But for me to recommend it, it has to not just be fermented the right way. It has to use an organic flour. Yeah, absolutely. And as we talk about wheat and how the products have become so denatured, something I find with a lot of these other diets, they say no wheat, oftentimes no legumes, although that's changed a little. But the one thing they recommend are nuts. And now nuts are good if they're prepared the right way. But I found it a little interesting that these groups that promote ancestral diets, these grain-free diets, they don't really say much about preparing nuts the right way. They just say, oh, nuts, yeah, they're fine. And so I like that one of the products that you have are truly sprouted nuts because that's something that when you see of more, it, it does take time to soak and sprout nuts yourself. And I think a lot of people would be interested in getting a sprouted nut to save time. Yeah, you're definitely right. I think there's a lack of understanding with some of the people who are pushing these diets. And it's not from a place of malice, but just lack of understanding on why it's important to properly process and what the proper processing is, because it's different for every ingredient. Like we talked about with the vegetables, blanch, steam, sometimes bake. And with the nut, you need to soak it because it's going to break down the phytic acid and make the nutrients more bioavailable and your body's more easily able to digest what you're eating. And so first it's sprouted, I think it's for five days and then dehydrated so that it's nice and crispy and also will preserve for a long time. And then just added a little touch of sea salt and it's a great snack and nobody who doesn't have a nut allergy should have any issues with it and it's going to be more tasty than i think the raw nuts that are i think popular these days but probably because there's a lack of understanding on the part of most people on what true proper processing is and what it should be oh yes yeah. sprouted nuts are definitely tastier than the raw nuts because I actually soak and sprout nuts myself, and sometimes I don't sprout them right away after I buy them from the farmer's market, because it is important that if you do sprout your own nuts, you need to have truly raw ones, and nuts sold in the store, they're actually not raw, even though they're labeled as such. Yeah. And so sometimes I don't do it right away, and I may want to eat an almond or two, and <laughs> when I eat them before I soak and sprout them, I realize they don't really taste that great because you do see also a lot of the ones you find on the market are roasted nuts, roasted almonds and such. And those, though, they skip some steps and they become denatured because they don't properly prepare them. So soaking and sprouting is really the way that you need to go. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes time. Like you said, it takes time and dedication to do everything correctly. Back in our sort of ancestral past, I don't think they had all this leisure time and time to pursue all the things that we're pursuing in our modern life. It really was about growing and preparing food. That's what a lot of life was. And as modern society gives us more options in terms of what we're able to do and offloads the food growing and production to other people, it's given us a lot more time to focus on other things. But if we look back at human history, so much of our time spent was just spending time growing, 
gathering and preparing food. And you can make that a part of your life. Get your kids together. I have a big garden. And one of the things that we like to do is we'll preserve some of the food that we grow. And it's fun. It's a nice way to spend a day with the family and do those activities. But it's a lot of work. And we take for granted how much food production has been outsourced to other people. And in a way, that's good. But in a way, it gets us away from eating healthy and eating how we're supposed to be eating. And so basically what Dr. Cowan's Garden is we've taken that work and done it for you. So you don't have to sprout the nuts. The greens and the granola were already sprouted. You can leave that to us, so to speak. Right. Life before things like, say, podcasts and other forms of entertainment, you know, yeah. you'll have more time to do preparing of foods in the proper way. And the sprouted nuts are one I know that I've thought we need more of. About a year ago this time, I released my article on the best sprouted nuts. And I was actually amazed at how many there were because I wasn't really sure when I went into the article if I could even come up with 10. But with researching it, I found a number of ones. And so it makes me wonder, as there are more on the market now, that perhaps people are becoming more aware of the benefits of soaking and sprouting nuts. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the last few years have given a lot of people an excuse to wake up and look after their own health. Because if you put your health in someone else's hands, you don't know what they're going to do with it. And so you really have to take ownership of your health. Not only does that mean eating right and exercising and all that stuff, but it also means being knowledgeable about what's healthy and what's not and taking a proactive approach. And so sprouted nuts is a small part of that, but it's diet, it's what to eat, what not to eat, how to move, moving, exercising, all that stuff plays a role in being a healthy person. And we like to think that we're a big part of the diet, at least helping to make it easier. Many products on Dr. Cowan's website and in the product line, I know that we could go hours talk about all of them, but I just want to talk about certainly a few more, maybe some of the other ones that have caught my attention. As we're discussing the grains, I know that another one that I think is fascinating is your popcorn. And I think that fits with foods that you want to feed your kid because kids do want a lot of grains. And, and that's the thing Sally Fallon actually pointed out about a lot of these diets is that they're all invented by men and men that don't have kids. So it's important to find foods that kids will eat and grains are something that are part of typically of children's diets. Yeah, it's amazing. It'd be really tough for us to live without grains with the kids. It's really tough. And popcorn, that's one where you get to really have a lot of fun with because you can make a really, really healthy snack using the popcorn. So number one, it's heirloom and beyond organic popping corn. Number two, it's like a playground for you to add whatever you want onto it. So for example, we have A2 grass-fed pasture-raised ghee. So you take the popcorn, you pop it, you put the melted ghee on it, and then you can add different vegetable powder. So my favorite with popcorn would be a combination of the threefold blend savory and the pepper salt. And so what that's doing, and the kids love it too, by the way, although I don't add very much pepper salt to them because they can't handle the spice as well as I can. So what I've done there is they have great fat from the ghee and they have vegetables from the powders that I add and a little bit of salt. And it's a great snack and I feel really good about giving it to them because they had the healthy fats and they have vegetables all in one snack and it's 
quick, easy, and they gobble it up. And it's great for kids. I love it too, but especially good for the kids. And I have eight, six, and three. Okay. I can definitely tell that we come from the same world of nutrition because actually that was something that I was going to suggest was your popcorn with the A2 ghee that you also have through the Dr. Cowan's line. Oh yeah. It's almost as if it was planned like that. <laughs> hmm. Popcorn that you make at home can be great. I remember during the pandemic, everybody talking about how they missed movie theater popcorn when the theaters were closed. And for me, I did it because I think that the popcorn I make myself is way better than any movie theater popcorn you can have. Yeah. Do they even use real butter on that? I don't know. That's a good question. And again, you're reading my mind. I was going to bring that up because I've been to movie theaters where they say made with real butter and I've had it and I'm like, how in the world is this real butter? I have real butter in my fridge. That's not real butter. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been to a movie theater. But yeah, you get some either real butter or ghee on popcorn, add some vegetable powders and some salt. And man, it is a really good snack. So yeah, been a long time since I've been to a movie. And I love the idea of your vegetable powders on the popcorn because they have, I know, those popcorn seasonings, which I've tried and just, they all taste so fake. Those are not from a garden. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess some ingredients originally come from a garden, but again, it comes to the whole thing of fillers and preservatives and how along the way it gets so denatured. Yeah. And yeah, how was it processed? We don't know that. When first launching the business and we try to find manufacturing partners because we grew out of what we were able to produce ourselves, the demand grew pretty quickly and we weren't able to keep up with it by just producing it ourselves. So we had to find a manufacturing partner. But everyone I talked to, they would sell us as much powder as we wanted, but we had no control over where it was sourced and we had no control over how the vegetables were processed into powders. And so it just wasn't the product that we wanted to sell. So I had to keep looking until I found someone who would follow our steps exactly. And one that was close to farms that would meet our standards. And so luckily I was able to find someone in upstate New York. And if you don't know about the upstate New York region, they have a lot of really good high quality and especially biodynamic farms. Meeting someone there ended up being the perfect situation because A, they were just starting out and they built their production line around our needs. And then B, they're really close to a lot of very high quality farms. So it turned out to be the perfect situation for us. Yes. And let's talk a little bit more about the ghee as you were talking about putting it on the popcorn. You mentioned it's A2. Another thing is it's 100% grass-fed, both very important things I see for dairy. Yeah, absolutely. So grass-fed, grass-finished. And it's kind of a trick that they play on you because every cow is grass-fed at some point. They all start out on grass, at least when they're young. And then over the course of their life, they go to the feedlots and to those things to be either fattened up for butchering or for milk production or something like that. We source our butter from a farm. It's in Amish country, Pennsylvania. They use A2, A2 Jersey and Guernsey cows. So the A2 refers to the protein in the cow. And so the A2 is like an heirloom breed of cattle that have the A2 protein. 
A1 is the protein that gives a lot of people issues who have maybe dairy intolerances or they're lactose intolerant. Oftentimes it's from the A1 proteins. So grass-fed, grass-finished, and A2 breed makes for the healthiest, best tasting butter. And then that's cooked down. The milk proteins are removed and all that's left is the fat. And that's the, it's clarified butter and you're just removing the milk solids from there. And what you're left with is a beautiful gold ghee right there. And tastes great, very good for you. And it's one of the best true pure fats. Yes, all cows grass-fed, unlike, say, chickens or pigs where they can start in factory farms. Cows have to be at least grass-fed from the beginning, and I have certainly seen that label of grass-fed being misused, that you have to be 100% grass-fed, because to say grass-fed, as Will Winter explained, well, he ate grass once. (laughs) Would that make him grass-fed? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Will's funny. Like you said, Cows, they all are at certain point, and there's a lot of misleading in the labeling of them because, yeah, technically it was a grass-fed cow at one point, but once you introduce the oftentimes genetically modified non-organic corn and soy into the cow, it really kind of changes them and changes the makeup of them and makes it an unhealthy animal. Oftentimes they have to use medications, whether it's antibiotics or not, to keep them from getting sick and that's what you end up eating you end up eating the old saying is you are what you eat but i think people are realizing now that it's you are what you eat and if what you eat is eating genetically modified corn and soy and glyphosate then it's just getting concentrated in that animal and so that's not a good situation so whether it's the meat from the animal or the milk or butter, you're still getting that bad stuff in there if it's not truly grass-fed and grass-finished. Right. The saying has now become, you are what your food ate. Yeah, you are what you eat. We've touched upon a number of products from how you started as the garden powders to then you have the properly prepared grains and nuts and then the healthy fats such as the ghee and the olive oil. What are some other products that you like to highlight from Dr. Cowan's garden? Well, we have a number of seed oils and those, the issue with a lot of seed oils is the heat that's introduced in the process. But manufacturer that we are partnered with had developed this technology where no heat is ever introduced at any time in the processing. So they are truly cold pressed oils and they're stored, like you said, without light in these containers and then they're put into the muron glass violet jar so they're blocking all the damaging properties of light and there's a variety of them they all have sort of different health benefits the black human seed for example every sort of culture has their own miracle healing food in india it's turmeric and in a lot of places in the middle east it's the black human seed and that has been looked back on centuries as this sort of healing food in that region. And then the other thing is we are probably just weeks away from launching a line of Ashitaba teas. And so Ashitaba is sort of our star product that I touched on earlier. has a whole host of health benefits, and we're coming out with a line of four different flavors of tea. And they're going to be specific to not conditions, but different things that it supports. So we have a metabolic support. We have a heart support. So the heart, we've paired it with other 
key ingredients and other ingredients that are healthy for the heart. So for example, hibiscus petals are in there. Hibiscus is also good for blood flow, good for the heart. So that's also in our Ashitaba tea. So we have metabolic support, heart support, female support to support a variety of conditions that females go through. So that includes ladies mantle and motherwort. And then we have a liver support. So that has burdock and cinnamon and turmeric that are also great for detoxing and also help to support the liver and the liver function. So that should be out sometime in October. If you're going to be at the Wise Traditions Conference this year, we will hopefully debut it there in late October. And I'm really excited about that one. I'm excited about that too because I'm a tea drinker. And in fact, hibiscus is one of my favorite types of teas. Yeah, it's one of my favorite as well. Yeah, so we're looking forward to that. We've been trying to do this for a while, but just never had the supply of Ashitaba. We use two farmers in the U.S. to grow it. It's a hard one to source. So we found two farmers that are growing it specifically for us. And so we finally have the supply this year to be able to add the line of tea. So we're very excited about it. I'm excited about that too. And that one's in the not too distant future. Are there any other products that you're looking at developing sometime in the next year or so? Yeah, I want to get into the dried meat category. Now, it could be one of those meat sticks or jerky or what I really like are those crispy, it's like a steak. They have these crispy ribeye, these thin little ribeye steaks, and you've added salt to them. I want to do something like that. So no immediate plans on that, but I'm hoping to do that very soon. And again, it's stuff that I want for my life, for my pantry. And so that's how I approach it. Well, that sounds great to me. I love meat snacks of all kinds. Yeah, I really like to build that out soon. Hopefully. That sounds great. We're just about out of time. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to let the listeners know about Dr. Cowan's Garden? Well, we've essentially curated products in just about every different food category. The idea is that if you couldn't get to a grocery store for whatever reason, you'd be able to source just about everything you need from us. So we have meat boxes. So those are meat sourced directly from Polyface Farm and Joel Salatin. We have the vegetable category covered with our vegetable powders. We have the grains covered with the kitchen staples, so actual grains, just grains that you would then prepare yourself. And then we have the granola that would fit in the grains category. We have the seed oils, the olive oil, the ghee for the fat, dairies category. So just about every category of food is covered on our website. And we really take the guesswork in terms of where the ingredients came from and how they were processed out of it. And trust that we've vetted our sources and vetted the production process to make sure that it's the best possible sourcing and correct production. And yeah, you can basically trust that these are the best quality products that you can buy in their individual categories. And so hope everyone checks it out and enjoys what they find. Yes. And let's give the listeners the website where they can go and learn all about these products. Yeah. DrCowansGarden.com. That's D-R and then C-O-W-A-N-S Garden.com. And if they'd like to learn about it on social media, where can they go? We're on Facebook, Dr. Cowan's Garden, and Instagram, it's Dr. Cowan's Powders. Those are our two main ones. Asher, thank you so much for coming on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. 
been delightful learning all about how this came about. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. New episodes of this show are released every Wednesday. Follow me on social media for more information on the next episode. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore on your favorite podcast site or app. You can also listen to all my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed.